I intended last week to speak about the qualifications and roles of elders and or pastors or overseers and deacons, but it uh, turns out that I got long-winded enough that I had to separate that into two different sermons. So today we're going to be talking about the roles and the qualifications for deacons. Now deacons are to be leading servants. Last week we talked about the qualifications and functions of the pastor, elder, overseer in the church. A quick recap is that the pastor is the servant leader of the church. A pastor is to lead the church under the authority of Christ. He serves at the pleasure of the congregation and is therefore under the authority of the congregation who is under the authority of the true head of the church, which is Jesus. Now, how is he to lead? We looked at last week that he is to care for the body of Christ. He is to teach the word of Christ, and he is to model the character of Christ. We discussed that no pastor is perfect, especially yours, but here is what every pastor is called to do. We discussed how that last point, modeling the character of Christ, is what all believers are truly called to do. And I said that last week, um, but I didn't justify it from Scripture, thinking that perhaps it was self-evident. But I want to correct that mistake and tell you how I know that it's the calling of every believer to model the character of Christ. Romans 8.29 tells us, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, to the image of his son. So the plan for you, if you are a believer and a follower of Christ, is to be conformed to his image. And you may say, well, that'll happen when we meet him. And it, truly it will. But in the meantime, there should be a process of a believer growing more and more like our Lord and Savior. You know, we are all ambassadors of Christ. Uh, That's not something you optionally sign up for. That is what all believers are. We are his representatives to the world. Now today we're going to look at the qualifications and roles of deacons. In my experience, that is a severely misunderstood topic. There are unbiblical extremes where deacons run the church like a board of directors all the way to the other unbiblical extreme, which is they are kind of unpaid uh, janitors, you know. And so somewhere we need to find a biblical model and a biblical definition of what exactly a deacon should be. We will try to discern from Scripture what is the biblical role for deacons. Now let me say at the outset, I am in no way displeased with the current function of our deacons. If I did have a problem with the role of our deacons, I would have enough respect and decency to go to our chairman of deacons and sit down with him and talk about it, rather than taking shots from the pulpit. That is inappropriate, and I wouldn't do that, and I have too much respect to do that. So nothing I say today is going to have that type of agenda behind it, okay? So you don't need to spend any mental energy saying, oh, what's he trying to say? I, like I said, I have no problem with the current way that our deacons are functioning, and I'm not trying to correct something from here. So let's not worry about that. If I offer a critique today, it's not targeted at our deacons. It just might be targeted at you know some misunderstandings I've seen in the past. So 
the pastor is not aiming at the deacons, and nor would he, because uh, I love our deacons. Please read with me our main text for this morning. It comes from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Pray with me one more time. Lord, we ask that you would give us a a biblically-minded understanding of what the role of deacon is. Father, I know that we have come from different church backgrounds, some of us. And Lord, in those different churches, uh, sometimes we have seen the role of deacon be carried out in a way that is not biblical. So Father, help us to shed tradition in light of Scripture. Lord, help us not just want to do what, uh, you know, what our grandfather did, not do just what our father did, but Lord, let us see that tradition is a great tool if it is aligned with biblical revelation. And Lord, if we have a different understanding uh, than what we see in the Bible today, Father, I pray that you would conform us to the Word and not help, not have us try to conform the Word to fit our preconceived notions. Lord, give us clarity of thought and give us obedience to what you reveal. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's start with the qualifications for deacons. Verse 8 says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Deacons are to be dignified, or another good translation of that is they are to be worthy of respect. Now we need to respect our deacons, but it is their job to be worthy of respect. If, through some action on their part, they lose the right to be respected, then they should no longer be allowed to serve as a deacon. Very few churches actually remove deacons. They're kind of like tenured professors. They can get in, and once they're in, they're in for life no matter what they do, no matter if they're modeling the character of Christ, no matter if they're leading out in the service of the church. It's a a lifetime appointment. And we need to make sure that our deacons are qualified when they begin and they're qualified as they continue. Just as I would say if a pastor loses the qualifications to be a pastor, what do you do? Do you put up with him? No, you get rid of him, right? So we need to understand that these qualifications are not a one-time entry. They are to be maintained throughout the service. Deacons are not to be double-tongued. I love that it says that because, you know, you don't want a guy who is saying one thing and doing another thing. I know it's horribly out of fashion in our day to actually say something and then be committed to do it just because you say it. The Bible still, though, prohibits lying, even if our culture is used to it. I know sometimes we may say we'll do something and then through circumstances that we can't control, we're not able to do what it is we said we would do. But 99.9% of the time, we need to do exactly what we commit to do. 
If you commit to do something, then do that thing unless providentially hindered. That is what our deacons need to model for us. That is what we need to learn from them and we need to see and we need to do ourselves. So we need to be able to depend on our deacons, not have them be double-tongued. Another thing that that means is that we wouldn't want one of our deacons or any, any representative of Christ saying one thing in one place and then saying another thing in another place. We wouldn't want a deacon or any other church member to be supportive of an idea until he gets around another group of people, and then all of a sudden he's not supportive anymore. We want our deacons to operate with integrity, to have only one tongue. All right, because if you're double-tongued, you are certainly not worthy of respect, right? And our deacons need to be worthy of respect. Verse 8 goes on to say, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Now those are very important, uh, but the only reason I'm not going to dwell on those is those are the same qualifications that we saw for an elder pastor overseer last week, and we spend a little time you know, explaining what that is. So not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith, in verse 9, with a clear conscience. Now, deacons, unlike pastors, don't have to have the qualification that they are able to teach, but they are required to have a deep knowledge of Scripture and an ever-deepening knowledge of Scripture. They are certainly to have a thorough and correct understanding of the gospel. It says they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Deacons, like all believers, should be ready and able to share their faith, and as leading servants, they should be modeling sharing their faith for the rest of us and encouraging us to do just that. Verse 10 says, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. That's why in our constitution, we are not allowed to make someone a deacon until they've been here at least a year. We want to do what the Bible says do right there. Uh, we want them to be tested first and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. We want to see the character and the lifestyle of a person before we consider appointing them to this office. Also, people should not be appointed as a deacon in hopes that they will start acting like one. <laughs> you know, we, uh, we need to appoint deacons who are already leading out in service to the congregation. In a church where I served previously, uh, we had two guys that said they were called into ministry at roughly the same time. Now, let me tell you about these two guys. One of them uh, had a Sunday school that he had been responsible to for years. He was the teacher. He would show up. He would be prepared he would have the Sunday school fellowship with him regularly at his house. Uh, he was teaching youth and, and college and career folks. And so he would have them over on Friday nights. He would go to the trouble of helping clean the house, getting it ready for company. He would have those college and high school kids over. Um, they would have a good time visiting and hanging out with him. He would they would interrupt his sleep. I mean, he'd keep them there till whenever they wanted to leave. So it'd be 12 or 1, and he'd have high school kids at his house. He would provide food for them. And if you know, uh, if you recall, back when you were in high school and college, we could just eat all we wanted to, right? 
So he would do all this stuff to minister to these kids. And when he said he was called into ministry, I was like, yep, you are. You're already doing ministry. Now we had another guy who was in charge of a different Sunday school who would show up late and he wouldn't have prepared the Sunday school. And when he said, I'm called into ministry, I was understandably a little more skeptical, right? Because people who are called into ministry should be people who are doing ministry. And it's the same way with our deacons. When we appoint a deacon, it needs to be somebody that is leading out in serving the church. Not just somebody that we think, well, there's potential there. Let's make them a deacon and hope they start acting like one. Sometimes we start thinking that we need X number of deacons. But if the Lord does not provide qualified people, it is better, much better, to have a shortage than to appoint people who are not indeed qualified. Now, if we're not producing disciples who are becoming qualified, that's a problem, right? That's a problem in the church if we're not producing that kind of disciple. But we all know you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I am not only willing, but I am extremely eager to help people become better disciples. I mean, I can beg people to read their Bibles daily. I can, uh, I can ask that they prioritize church attendance and small group attendance. But I can't make them come, right? So we need to do everything we can to make disciples. But uh, as... Uh, Ms. Ann posted on Facebook, you, uh, if the shepherd's going to feed the sheep, the sheep have to come show up for the shepherd to feed them, right? And so when, uh, when we have people that are out of church, help me encourage them, guys. Because if, I, if you're out of church and I call you and I say, we missed you, the default position is you're like, oh, the pastor's calling to fuss at me for not being in church, right? If you call, though, you can just encourage. You can say, hey guys, we missed you again today. We, we really hate that you were out. What can I do? Do you need a ride? I mean, we can encourage them. So let me encourage you to encourage our brothers and sisters, especially if you see them out a week or two in a row, just give them a call and see how you can encourage them to be here. I do that, but I'm telling you most of the time, it's, I think the initial reaction is, oh, the pastor's calling to fuss at me. So encourage our brethren to meet with us. You know, the greatest frustration in ministry, somebody asked me one time what the greatest frustration in ministry was. I didn't have to think about it. I knew exactly what it was. It is seeing people who have so much potential to be used in the kingdom. And, and, you know, I don't mean that they're brilliant or anything like that. I just mean that they're willing. So anybody that you see that you think, oh, they have so much potential just because God could do something wonderful in them to be such a great force in the church and in the kingdom. And then they grow cold and they grow cold because of the concerns of the world kind of choking out their spiritual life. That is by far the greatest frustration in ministry. And when you see that happening to your brothers and sisters, give them a call, give them an encouragement. We need to pray for one another that that will not happen to us. And when we see it happening to someone else, pray especially for that person and that family. Verse 11 is a little bit controversial, and I will explain why. It says, Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Well, that seems plain, doesn't it? I mean, it's easy to read, no problem. They should have... Wives who are dignified, 
not slanderers, sober-minded and faithful. The problem is that that is one valid and accurate translation of the Greek. Another valid translation of the Greek is what we find in the NIV. And if you'll put that up for us, it says, In the same way the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Now, I doubt that you want me to waste a lot of time explaining why these are both valid translations, but I'll, I'll do a cursory explanation so you'll see why it's a legitimate concern. The word translated wives and women is the same word in the Greek. That word can be translated either way. The ESV says their wives, meaning the wives of the deacons. The problem is that possessive word there is not actually in the Greek although some people argue that it is implied. Do you see the problem? Are you, are you with me? Okay. People with good scholarship and good intentions can decide that this refers to deacons' wives, and other people who are doing good scholarship and, and want to obey the Bible can decide that this refers to women who are deacons in the church. The word translated deacon in this passage is, is diakonos, or, or a version of that word and you can hear that that word was imported into english for deacons right diakonos and deacons they sound similar another argument for deaconesses or female deacons is one that comes from romans 16 1 in the esv this verse reads i commend to you our sister phoebe a servant of the church at wherever that is centuria okay In the NIV, the verse reads this way, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in that place. So we look to see what the Greek word is that they're translating. And do you know what the Greek word they're translating is for servant? It's that diakonos word that we get our word deacon from. Now, which is a better translation? Obviously, that's up for debate, and it gets debated a lot. Now, am I going to ask us to break with our tradition and appoint deaconesses in the church? No, well, for a couple of reasons. One, self-preservation. No, no, seriously, I don't, uh, I'm not committed to thinking that this is talking about female deacons, or I would actually fight for it. I am inclined to believe that the ESV has the right of it. Let me explain why. Verse 12 goes on to say, Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. It seems to me that if Paul meant women who are deacons in verse 11, then verse 12 would have read something like, let deacons each be the husband of one wife or the wife of one husband, managing their children and their households well, right? So I do believe that it is correct to say that that the office of deacon is to be men who are leading servants in the church, But if we spoke Greek, what would we call women who serve faithfully in the church? Now, there are a lot of women who serve faithfully in the church. Um, I'm going to be biased today because Betty is much on my mind and heart. So if Betty were here, what would we call her? We would call her a servant, right? If we spoke Greek, we would call her a diakonos, right? We would call her some some form of that word, which means servant. So that's why there's confusion. The very word means servant. And so if you wonder, well, what is the role of a deacon? Well, 
It's to serve because that's what the word means. It's kind of like the word baptize. Baptize means to take and submerge. And so people talk about, well, how, what way should we baptize? Well, we should baptize by baptizing them, right? Because that's what that word means. Or sometimes people say, how much should I tithe to the church? Well, again, the word tithe means tenth, right? So we don't have to ponder that. And it's the same way with the word deacon. It means servant. And so we can tell a lot about what the role is. So if we spoke Greek, we would call her a servant. And that's the same word that is deacon. Women can, and thank God, do serve in crucial roles in the church. I believe, though, that like the office of pastor, the office of deacon is to be filled by men in the church. Now let me ask you, could I be wrong on the office of pastor? I am persuaded through much thought, prayer, and study that I cannot be wrong on that one. Could I be wrong on the office of deacon? Yes, I could be. It is much more possible that I'm wrong on that one than I am on the office of pastor, elder, or overseer. People who are very smart, very learned, and who have a very high view of Scripture and seek with all their heart to be committed and following the Scripture uh, disagree with each other on whether or not deacons can be men and women. And it's because of those things that we discussed. I won't take the time to elaborate on the other qualifications that we read in verse 12, uh, the husband of one wife. That means, like we talked about last week, a a one-woman man and managing their children and their households. Those are very important, but we covered those last week, so I won't reiterate those. Now, verse 13 says, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. What should give someone assurance that they're in the faith? Um, That is a great question. You know, I talk to people sometimes, and they are as sure as they can be that they're believers. But then they tell me things that make me very unsure that they're believers. And then sometimes I'll see people who are believers, who have been in a relationship with Christ, who have been growing for years, and yet they're really concerned that they're not in the faith. So... What is a good test of whether or not you're in the faith? What is a good means of assurance? Well, one thing is a proper understanding of the gospel. We need to know what we believe and we need to know why we believe it. But another very important thing is that they act out, that they live a life of service and dedication to Jesus and to his church. Now, we talked about the qualifications. Now I want to turn to the role of deacons. That information is not given to us in 1 Timothy. So let's go back to Acts chapter 6 where we are introduced to the concept and the prototype of deacons. In chapter 6 verse 1 it says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. 
and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. Then they set before the apostles, and they prayed, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. All right, so deacons are supposed to serve food, right? All right, got it. Next time we have an eating meeting, we just let them be the waiters, right? (laughs) Okay, no, that's not really the point. Um, Let's see what they were doing and how they were functioning to minister to the body in the situations. Deacons are to serve as peacemakers within the congregation. Look with me in uh, chapter 6, verse 1 of Acts. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint. Okay, that's the heart of this thing. A complaint arose against, by the Hellenists against the Hebrews. Okay, so what inspired the need for deacons? A complaint arose. Deacons are to be peacemakers within the church. A person with a heart of a servant is going to take care of problems and complaints. Now, let me tell you what they will not do. A person with a servant's heart will not find a problem or complaint and add fuel to the fire. Uh, They won't ignore it because it's somebody else's problem. They won't try to find someone else to blame for the problem. These are not what deacons do. Deacons are peacemakers who fix the problems. A deacon or someone who is qualified to be a deacon will take care of problems that could cause division and disunity. And they will never, ever, ever be the ones responsible for disunity. Well, unnecessary disunity. Now, occasionally, you know, if if I started stealing money from the church and planning to run off with somebody else's wife or some such foolishness, there would need to be a there would need to be disunity, right? <laughs> the deacons and and the church as a whole would need to cause the disunity required to throw me out, get somebody else in here, and then have unity again. So only in such dire circumstances are the deacons ever to cause disunity. Deacons are to support the ministry of the pastor or elder or overseer. Look in verse 4. It says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You see, the apostles were able to devote themselves to their calling because of the work and the ministry of these seven men. Could these seven guys take care of all of the food distributions of this multi-thousand member church? Probably not. Uh, I seriously doubt they could, but the church had so many members that we see that the deacons were serving, but they were probably leading others in this area of service. So they were probably uh, leading servants like we've been talking about. They weren't the ones doing all the work but they were the ones who were leading in the work and leading others in the body to serve as well. Now, how do we apply this to West Laurel Baptist Church, right? That's what we need to know. We need to make sure that we only appoint deacons who are leading servants. We expect deacons that we do have to lead out in service and in peacemaking. Uh, Through Danny's leadership, our deacons are going to reinstate family ministry. And what that means for you is that you will have a deacon assigned to you. That deacon will pray for you and will check on you. Uh, They'll call and ask how they can pray for you. And they want to check up on you from time to time. 
None of them are mind readers, though. Uh, so I strongly encourage you to call them or call the office or call me. If you're going into the hospital or you have some kind of emergency, let us know. Because we, we care and we want to care in a tangible way. We want to be there. We want to come pray for you. We want to minister to you in any and every way we can. But you got to let us know. So you're going to have a deacon assigned to you. You're going to know who that deacon is. And then you are welcome to call them or call the office or call me and let me know if something's going on. It is not a burden for us to minister to you. It's an opportunity. So please don't hesitate to let us know. Now we're a small enough church that we really should not have any trouble staying in touch with our people. This deacon family ministry will help us do that better than we do it now. Let's discuss peacemaking for a moment. The first thing that will help us is if we assume the best about one another. You know, if somebody gets left off your Sunday school role, assume that is a clerical oversight because it's a clerical oversight. Uh, If your deacon doesn't call you when he's supposed to, assume that maybe he's had some kind of thing come up and maybe you need to minister to him and call him and say, hey, brother, I missed your call this month. How are you doing? Also, if we have a problem and there's ever something that's, that's really bugging you, go to the person who's responsible and tell them. Um, gossip is toxic and harmful. If you have a complaint against someone or someone has offended you, then go talk to that person rather than about that person. Okay? Uh, I told you that I had a deacon that was angry with me because uh, one time... When I was at First Baptist, I preached and uh, I said something about requirements for pastors or deacons. And he came to me and he said, you should have said this. And I said, but he started out his comment with, I know you said what the Bible says, but. And I was like, oh, hang on. (laughs) I don't think we need to continue that because if I said what the Bible said, then I did my job. But before he talked to me, he went to the pastor and fussed. And then he went to the associate pastor and fussed. And so the pastor and the associate pastor, I was the worship pastor, they called me in the office and they said, we're, you know, brother so-and-so has been complaining and here's what he's been complaining about. And uh, I guess I was feeling a little testy because what I said was, well, when you told him to come talk to me about it, what did he say? And they both kind of hung their heads and said, well, we didn't tell him that. (laughs) But we know, don't we, that if we have a problem or a complaint with somebody, we go to that person, talk to them, not about them, right? Our deacons need to lead out in exhibiting this kind of behavior. People are funny. Uh, Let's help them deal with ruffled feathers right away. You know, we need to kill problems as soon as they arise. Problems of disunity in the church is like cancer in the body. you got to get rid of it. And you got to get rid of it when it's small. you got to get rid of it when it's very first detected. We attack problems, disputes, and unrest, but not one another. And again, this is not something that's a current problem that I'm saying, hey, y'all got to do better. I'm just saying this is how we're supposed to operate. We should know that. We should keep it in mind. And we should make sure that disunity doesn't creep in. Deacons are a vital part of keeping peace and harmony in the church. And I think we can see that from looking at chapter 6 of Acts. You know, it wasn't, the problem wasn't that there was food that needed to be given to these certain widows. The problem was there was a complaint, there was disunity. Okay, that's the heart of the thing. So are they supposed to serve tables? Maybe. 
I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. They, they serve when we do the Lord's Supper, right? That's a good thing for a deacon to do. And if we have um, an occasion where we're having an eating meeting, you're going to see Jimmy Knight running around filling people's tea up, right? Because he's a servant-hearted guy. There's nothing wrong with that. But the role of deacon is called to make sure that we keep peace. So that when there's a complaint, when there's disunity, when there's a problem, our deacons are the first line, first responders to that. To make sure that we maintain unity and that no problems get big and out of hand. And that we address them to the right people at the right time. So your deacon, okay, who's going to be assigned to you, cares about you. They care about your health. They care about your spiritual life. And they want to encourage you in any way they can. So when they call, uh, don't say, man, why is this dude calling me and checking up on me? Instead, say, hey, I've got a guy who is committed to my welfare. He's committed to pray for me. He is committed to serve me in any way that he can. He is committed to keep me in touch with the pastor. And if, I'm, if I've been out for a couple of weeks and my deacon calls me, he's not calling to fuss at me. He's calling to see what's wrong. And you say, well, I injured my knee and I hadn't been able to go to church. Well, good, we need to know that. And then we can pray for you and pray for your knee and ask you, hey, would it be helpful if we came and gave you a ride? I mean, that's what our deacons want to do is minister to you, and that's what we want to do. So when they call you up, load them up with prayer requests and let them minister. You know, sometimes we talk to people, and I'll have folks say, well, I didn't tell you I was going into the hospital because I didn't want to be a burden. I think... The, the fundamental problem is you don't realize that ministry is my calling. It's my desire. It's what I want to do. So if you ever call me and you say, hey, there's a way you can minister to me, that's like saying sick them to a bulldog. That's what I want to do, right? And that's what our deacons want to do as well. I am thankful for our deacons. I am thankful for the way that they have decided, hey, we're going to embrace this family ministry. We're going to be more hands-on. It is our job to help shepherd the flock, and and that's great. And I'm looking forward to them doing that, and I hope you are as well. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for committed believers, uh, people who love you, people who want uh, to, to help keep peace in the church, people who want to maintain the health, uh, not only the physical health, Lord, we're not doctors, but the, the spiritual health of the congregation. Lord, I thank you for people who are committed to doing that. And Lord, I pray that their commitment would deepen. I pray that my commitment would deepen so that we can have a healthy, 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 productive church. Lord, we need to be making disciples who are making disciples. We've been in a, a uh, 30-something year uh, pattern of not, not doing that well. Lord, I want us to do it well. I beg you to bring about the kind of change that we need here. Father, I ask you to bring revival to us. Father, we pray this in Christ's name.